Chapter Fourteen of the Giant's Robe by F. Anstey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Fourteen. In the Spring. Mark lost no time in obeying Dolly's summons, and it was with an exhilaration a little tempered by a nervousness to which he was not usually subject that he leaped into the dipping and lurching hansom that was to carry him to Kensington Park Gardens. As Mark drove through the park across the serpentine, and saw the black branches of the trees looking as if they had all been sprinkled with a feathery green powder, and noticed the new delicacy in the bright-hued grass, he hailed these signs as fresh confirmation of the approach of summer, a summer that might prove a golden one for him. But as he drew nearer Notting Hill, his spirit sank again what if this opportunity were to collapse as hopelessly as the first mabel would of course have forgotten him would she let him drop indifferently as before he felt far from hopeful as he rang the bell he asked for miss dorothy langton giving his name as mr ernstone and was shown into a little room filled with the pretty contrivances which the modern young lady collects around her he found dolly there alone in a very stately and self-possessed mood you can bring up tea here champion she said and some tea-cake you like tea-cake of course she said to mark with something of afterthought mother and mabel are out calling or something she added so we shall be quite alone and now sit down there in that chair and tell me everything you know about fairies mark's heart sank this was not at all what he had hoped for but dolly had thrown herself back in her own chair with such evident expectation and a persuasion that she had got hold of an authority on fairy law that he did not dare to expostulate although in truth his acquaintance with the subject was decidedly limited you can begin now said dolly calmly as mark stared blankly into his hat well he said what do you want to know about them all about them said dolly with the air of a little person accustomed to instant obedience mark's letter had not quite dispelled her doubts and she wanted to be quite certain that such cases as that of the sugar prince were by no means common well said mark again clearing his throat they dance round in rings you know and live inside flowers and play tricks with people that is he added with a sort of idea that he must not encourage superstition they did once of course there are no such things now then how was it that that little girl you knew who was not me ate one up he was the last one said mark but how did he get turned into sugar had he done anything wrong that's how it was what was it he hadn't told a story had he it's exactly what he had done said mark accepting this solution gratefully an awful story what was the story dolly demanded at this and mark floundered on beginning to consider dolly for all her pretty looks and ways a decided little nuisance he he said the queen of the fairies squinted he stammered in his extremity 
"'Then it was she who turned him into sugar?' "'Of course it was,' said Mark. "'But you said he was the last fairy left,' persisted the terrible Dolly. "'Did I?' said Mark, miserably. "'I mean, the last but one. She was the other.' "'Then who was there to tell the story to?' Dolly cross-examined, and Mark quailed, feeling that any more explanation would probably land him in worse difficulties. "'I don't think you know very much about it after all,' she said with severity. "'I suppose you put all you knew into that story. But you're quite sure there was no fairy inside the figure I ate, aren't you?' "'Oh, yes,' said Mark. "'I—I I happen to know that.' "'That's all right, then,' said Dolly with a little sigh of relief. "'Was that the only fairy story you know?' "'Yes,' Mark hastened to explain, in deadly fear lest he might be called upon for another. "'Oh,' said Dolly, "'then we'd better have tea,' for the door had opened. "'It's not champion after all,' she cried. "'It's Mabel. "'I never heard you come back, Mabel.' and Mark turned to realise his dearest hopes, and find himself face to face once more with Mabel. She came in, looking even lovelier, he thought, in her fresh spring toilette, than in the winter furs she had worn when he had seen her last, bent down to kiss Dolly, and then glanced at him with the light of recognition coming into her grey eyes. "'This is Mr. Ernstone, Mab,' said Dolly. The pink in Mabel's cheeks deepened slightly. The author of the book which had stirred her so unusually was the young man who had not thought it worth his while to see any more of them. Probably, had he known who had written to him, he would not have been there now, and this gave a certain distance to her manner as she spoke. "'We have met before, Mr. Ernstone,' she said, giving him her ungloved hand. "'Very likely you have forgotten when and how,' "'But I am sure Dolly had not, had you, Dolly?' "'But Dolly had, having been too much engrossed with her dog on the day of the breakdown "'to notice appearances, even of his preserver, very particularly. "'When did I see him before, Mabel?' she whispered. "'Oh, Dolly, you ungrateful child! "'Don't you remember who brought Frisk out of the train for you that day in the fog?' "'But Dolly hung her head and drooped her long lashes.' twining her fingers with one of those sudden attacks of awkwardness that sometimes seize the most self-possessed children you never thanked him then you know continued mabel aren't you going to say a word to him now thank you very much for saving my dog murmured dolly very quickly and without looking at him when mabel seeing that she was not at her ease suggested that she should run and fetch frisk to return thanks in person which Dolly accepted gladly as permission to escape. Mark had risen, of course, at Mabel's entrance, and was standing at one corner of the curtained mantelpiece. Mabel was at the other, absently smoothing the fringe with delicate curves of her hand, and with her eyes bent on the rug at her feet. Both were silent for a few moments. Mark had felt the coldness in her manner. "'She remembers how shabbily she treated me,' he thought, and she's too proud to show it you must forgive dolly said mabel at last thinking that if mark meant to be stiff and disagreeable 
there was no need at least for the interview to be made ridiculous children have short memories for faces only i hope not kindnesses but if you had cared to be thanked we should have seen you before rather cool that mark thought i am only surprised he said that you should remember it you gave me more thanks than i deserved at the time still as i had no opportunity of learning your name or where you lived if you recollect we parted very suddenly and you gave me no permission but i sent a line to you by the guard she said i gave you our address and asked you to call and see my mother and let dolly thank you properly she was not proud and ungracious after all then he felt a great joy at the thought and shame too for having so misjudged her if i had ever received it he said i hope you will believe that you would have seen me before this but i asked for news of you from that burly old impostor of a guard and he he gave me no intelligible message mark remembered suddenly the official's extempore effort and certainly nothing in writing mark's words were evidently sincere and as she heard them the coldness and constraint died out of mabel's face the slight misunderstanding between them was over after all you are here in spite of guards she said with a gay little laugh and now we have even more to be grateful to you for and then simply and frankly she told him of the pleasure illusion had given her while at her gracious words mark felt almost for the first time the full meanness of his fraud and wished as he had certainly never wished before that he had indeed written the book but this only made him shrink from the subject he acknowledged what she said in a few formal words and attempted to turn the conversation more abruptly than he had done for some time on such occasions mabel was of opinion and with perfect justice that even genius itself would scarcely be warranted in treating her approval in this summary fashion and felt slightly inclined to resent it even while excusing it to herself as the unintentional gaucherie of an over-modest man i ought to have remembered perhaps she said with a touch of pique in her voice that you must long ago have tired of hearing such things he had indeed but he saw that his brusqueness had annoyed her and hastened to explain you must not think that is so he said very earnestly only there is praise one cannot trust oneself to listen to long and it really makes you uncomfortable to be talked to about illusion said mabel i will be quite frank miss langton said mark and he really felt that he must for his own peace of mind convince her of this really it does because you see i feel all this time i hope that is that i can do much better work in the future and we have all been admiring in the wrong place i see said mabel with apparent innocence and a rather dangerous gleam in her eyes oh i know it sounds conceited said mark but the real truth is that when i hear such kind things said about a work which which gave me so little trouble to produce it makes me a little uncomfortable sometimes because you know how perversely things happen sometimes because i can't help a sort of fear that my next book to which i really am giving serious labour may be utterly unnoticed or or worse 
there was no possibility of mistaking this for mock modesty and though mabel thought such sensitiveness rather overstrained she liked him for it notwithstanding i think you need not fear that she said but you shall not be made uncomfortable any more and you are writing another book may i ask you about that or is that another indiscretion mark was only too delighted to be able to talk about a book which he really had written it was at least a change and he plunged into the subject with much zest it deals with things and men he concluded on rather a larger scale than illusion was done i have tried to keep it clear of all commonplace characters but then it will not be quite so lifelike will it suggested mabel and in illusion you made even commonplace characters interesting that is very well he said a little impatiently for a book which does not aim at the first rank it is easy enough to register exactly what happens around one anybody who keeps a diary can do that the highest fiction should idealize i am afraid i prefer the other fiction then said mabel i like to sympathize with the characters and you can't sympathize with an ideal hero or heroine i hope you'll let your heroine have one or two little weaknesses mr ernstone now you are laughing at me said mark more humbly i must leave you to judge between the two books and if i can only win your approval miss langton i shall prize it more than i dare to say if it is at all like illusion oh i forgot mabel broke off suddenly that is forbidden ground isn't it and now will you come into the drawing-room and be introduced to my mother we shall find some tea there mrs langton was a little sleepy after a long afternoon of card-leaving and call-paying but she was sufficiently awake to be gracious when she had quite understood who mark was so very kind of you to write to my little daughter about such nonsense she said of course i don't mean that the story itself was anything of the kind but little girls have such silly fancies at least mine seem to have you were just the same at dolly's age mabel now oh, i never recollect worrying myself about such ideas i'm sure i don't know how they get it but i hear it is such a wonderful book you have written mr ernstone i've not read it yet my wretched health you know but really when i think how clever you must be i feel quite afraid to talk to you i always consider it must require so much cleverness and perseverance you know to write any book oh mabel only think cried dolly now quite herself again from one of the window-seats frisk has won away again and been out ever since yesterday morning i forgot that just now so mr ernstone can't see him after all and mabel explained to her mother that they had recognized in the author of illusion the unknown rescuer of dolly's dog you mustn't risk such a valuable life as yours is now any more said mrs langton after purring out thanks which were hazily expressed owing to an imperfect recollection of the circumstances you must be more selfish after this for other people's sakes i'm afraid such consideration would not be quite understood said mark laughing oh you must expect to be misunderstood else there would be no merit in it would there said mrs langton not too lucidly dolly my pet 
there's something scratching outside the door run and see what it is mark rose and opened the door and presently a ridiculous little draggled object as black as a cinder its long hair caked and clotted with dried mud shuffled into the room with the evident intention of sneaking into a warm corner without attracting public notice an intention promptly foiled by the indignant dolly oh oh she cried it's frisk look at him everybody do look at him the unhappy animal backed into the corner by the door with his eyes on dolly's and made a conscience-stricken attempt to sit up and wave one paw in deprecation doubtless prepared with a plausible explanation of his singular appearance which much resembled that of mr dolls returning to jenny wren after a long course of three penneths aren't you ashamed of yourself demanded dolly don't laugh mr ernstone please it encourages him so oh i believe you're the very worst dog in notting hill the possessor of that bad eminence sat and shivered as if engaged in a rough calculation of his chances of a whipping but dolly governed him on these occasions chiefly by the moral sanction an immunity he owed to his condition and this said dolly scathingly this is the dog you saved from the train mr ernstone there's gratitude the next time he shall be left to be killed he's not worth saving either the announcement or the suspense according to one's estimate of his intellectual powers may vary made the culprit snuffle dolefully and after dolly had made a few further uncomplimentary observations on the general vileness of his conduct and the extreme uncleanliness of his person which he heard abjectly he was dismissed with his tail well under him probably to meditate that if he did not wish to rejoin his race altogether he really would have to pull up soon after this sounds were heard in the hall as of a hat being pitched into a corner and a bag with some heavy objects in it slammed on a table to a whistling accompaniment that's colin said dolly confidentially mother says he ought to be getting more repose of manner but he hasn't begun yet and soon after colin himself made his appearance hello mabel hello mother yes i've washed my hands and i've brushed my hair it's all right really well dolly what mr ashburn here he broke off staring a little as he went up to shake hands with mark i ought to have explained perhaps said mark ernstone is only the name i write under and i had the pleasure of having your son in my form at st peter's for some time hadn't i colin yes sir said colin shyly still rather overcome by so unexpected an apparition and thinking this would be something to tell the fellows next day mabel laughed merrily mr ashburn i wonder how many more people you will turn out to be she said if you knew how afraid i was of you when i used to help colin with his latin exercises and how angry when you found me out in any mistakes i pictured you as a very awful personage indeed so i am said mark officially i'm sure your brother will agree to that i don't think he will said mabel he was so sorry when they moved him out of your form that you can't have been so very bad i liked being in the middle third sir said colin regaining confidence it was much better fun than oh i mean 
Mr. Blatherwick's is. I wish I was back again for some things, he qualified conscientiously. When the time came to take his leave, Mrs. Langton asked for his address, with a view to an invitation at no distant time. A young man, already a sort of celebrity, and quite presentable on other accounts, would be useful at dances, while he might serve to leaven some of her husband's slightly heavy professional dinners. Mabel gave him her hand at parting with an air of entire friendliness and good understanding, which she did not usually display on so short a probation. But she liked this Mr. Ashburn already, who on the last time she had met him had figured as a kind of hero, who was the swell master for whom, without having seen him, she had caught something of Colin's boyish admiration, and who, lastly, had stirred and roused her imagination through the work of his own. Perhaps, after all, he was a little conceited, but then it was not an offensive conceit, but one born of confidence in himself, which was fairly justified. She had not liked his manner of disparaging his first work, and she rather distrusted his idealising theories. Still, she knew that clever people often find it difficult to do justice to their ideas in words. He might produce a work which would take rank with the very greatest, and till then she could admire what he had already accomplished. And besides, he was good-looking, very good-looking. His dark eyes had expressed a very evident satisfaction at being there and talking to her, which, of course, was in his favour. His manner was bright and pleasant, and so Mabel found it agreeable to listen to her mother's praise of their departed visitor. "'A very charming young man, my dear. You've only to look at him to see he's a true genius, and so unaffected and pleasant with it all. Quite an acquisition, really.' "'I found him, mother,' interrupted Dolly. "'He wouldn't have come but for me. "'But I'm rather disappointed in him myself. "'He didn't seem to care to talk to me much. "'And I don't believe he knows much about fairies.' "'Don't be ungrateful, Dolly,' said Mabel. "'Who saved Frisk for you?' "'Oh, he did. I know all that. "'But not because he liked Frisk, or me, either. "'It was because—' I don't know why it was because. Because he is a good young man, I suppose, said Mrs. Langton instructively. No, it wasn't that. He doesn't look so very good. Not so good as poor Vincent did. More good than Harold, though. But he doesn't care about dogs, and he doesn't care about me. And I don't care about him, concluded Dolly, rather defiantly. As for Mark, he left the house thoroughly and helplessly in love. As he walked back to his rooms, he found a dreamy pleasure in recalling the different stages of the interview. Mabel's slender figure, as she stood opposite him by the mantelpiece, her reserve at first, and the manner in which it had thawed to a frank and gracious interest, the suspicion of a critical but not unkindly mockery in her eyes and tone at times. It all came back to him with a vividness that rendered him deaf and blind to his actual surroundings. He saw again the group in the dim, violet-scented drawing-room, the handsome, languid woman murmuring her pleasant commonplaces, and the pretty child lecturing the prodigal dog, and still felt the warm, light touch of Mabel's hand, 
as it had laid in his for an instant at parting this time too the parting was not without hope he might look forward to seeing her again after this a summer of golden dreams and fancies had indeed begun for him that day and as he thought again that he owed these high privileges to illusion events seemed more than ever to be justifying an act which was fast becoming as remote and unreproachful as acts will when the dread of discovery that great awakener of conscience is sleeping too End of chapter fourteen